Turn with me, please, in the Word of God tonight to the Gospel of Luke, and the chapter 7. Luke's Gospel, the chapter 7. And we're commencing to read at verse 36. Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, and starting to read at verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees which were bidden, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors, the one owed five hundred pence and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. They that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. And we know that God Himself will add His blessing onto the reading of His Word in our hearing tonight. We're taking the second of our Lord's commendations, not necessarily in chronological order, in the order of their appearance, but we're taking this as our second one tonight. And we're looking at the case of this woman who kissed and anointed our Lord's feet. 
With the word of God open before us, let's bow together, please, in a further word of prayer. Gracious Father, again we look to Thee for Thy blessing, for Thee to exercise our hearts, for Thee to come and to speak to us. And ever, if ever Thou art going to speak well of us, then we would do ourselves a massive favor when we look at Thy Word and we see these people who were commended by Thee. Lord, may that be the case for all of Thy people assembled here in our Savior's precious and blessed name, we pray. Commendation. Again, on the Lord's Day, God willing, we will have some tangible evidence of a commendation. Reverend Colin Mercer, on behalf of the Mission Board, came along to my house today, and he had a suitcase. And he gave me some material that we will, to some extent, put on display on the Lord's Day afternoon. Belong to our brother, Dr. Bill Woods. His medal that he received from Queen Elizabeth II, that OBE, large medal, smaller medal as well that accompanies it. And then a large, probably at least double an A4 page, a large document coming from the palace as it did, containing the signature of Elizabeth R., and also of Prince Philip. Would that be valuable in this day? It absolutely would. And it will be our pleasure to be able to put that commendation on display. But our attention tonight is centering on a woman, and this woman that we read about here in Luke chapter 7, she had lived a sinful life. She's introduced to us in Luke 7, 37, with these words, Behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner. And immediately we could hook on to that and say, well, just like us then, because we are all sinners without exception. We were born that way, as the psalmist labors the point with us in Psalm 51 and 5 and Psalm 58 and 3 as well. And being sinners by nature, then we all have committed sin, Isaiah 53 and 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Ecclesiastes 7 and 20, there is no man that sinneth not. And also in Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. As a consequence, of that. Born sinners by nature, therefore committing sin on a regular basis, we are guilty before God. And that guilt is pronounced, the sentence is delivered. For example, in Ezekiel 18 and 4, Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. And 1 John 1, verse 8 through to the verse 10. So there are shoes here that could be filled by every single one of us. But of course, there's an emphasis here. 
And the emphasis is that in this chapter, verse 37, for example, which was a sinner, at the end of verse 39 as well, for she is a sinner, it seems to be taking her and putting her down on a level even lower than the average and the regular sinner. And of course, that was the case. But we're just pausing before we go there and reminding ourselves of the words of the hymn writer who declared, For nothing good have I, whereby thy grace to claim. But notice in particular the sin that enslaved her. The sin that enslaved her. It's our Lord's verdict on her. You can see it in verse 47. He said, Her sins which our many. So, she is a great sinner. Many of the commentators have suggested that this woman would have been a harlot. For every woman guilty of those sins, then there are men involved, and perhaps many and multiple men. The tragedy is that many times the man will go free, but he will not go free, of course, forever, as Galatians 6 and 7 reminds us, be not deceived. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Revelation 21, and it as well, comes in and buttresses that very same point. But here is a woman, and she is at this time in her life completely enslaved by her sin. Her condition, you'll have described in John 8, and the verse 34, whosoever committeth sin is the servant or the slave of, and that's why we're using the term, she is enslaved by that sin. And then the consequences of the sin, while well, it begins in lust, goes through to full orb sin and ends and issues in death, as we find in James 1 and the verse 15. So here is the sin that enslaved her. We might be saying already, well, your sin and my sin is not going along that line. There may be sins of dishonesty that we'll be more than happy to confess and own up to, or hypocrisy, or some secret jealousy, or even the roots of pride that are sprouting forth and developing ugly plants all around. And we might well say, well, I am guilty of that or other things. The saving thing about her, the saving grace, if we can put it like that, is that she knew that she was a sinner. She acknowledged such. It wasn't necessary to come and give her a big theology class and a huge textbook and tell her, read through that, so that you will convince yourself that you were a sinner. It was not necessary to convince her that she needed salvation. We live in a day of huge departure from God of incredible ignorance of the things of God, the ways of God, and especially the Word of God. And yet, running in tandem with that, rather incongruously, but running in tandem with it, is this notion in the minds of an increasing number of people, why are you coming to me with your gospel tracts? Why are you accosting me in the street? Why are you preaching to me? Because I am not a sinner. And many men and women have got it into their heads 
today in this postmodern society that sin is not an issue that concerns them. They have not sinned. About 20 years ago, it was no real issue. 30 years, 40 years, the further you go back, people readily acknowledged, I have transgressed against my fellow man. I have transgressed against God. But now people are so self-righteous. How dare you build up the barricades, put in the fortifications. But here's a woman, and there are no fortifications at all. She hated her sin. Of course she did. No truly fallen man or woman, no alcoholic, no one enslaved by sin ever intended that that's how it was going to end for them, that that's the port that they were going to steer for, the sin that enslaved her. Notice the Savior who encouraged her. This woman had been won by grace. And if you look at verse 37 through to 39, and behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. We need to ask ourselves right away, why was she weeping? Why were there tears? Now, when the Pharisee, verse 39, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Her faith is commended in the latter part of the chapter by Christ. A great faith. That is, that faith had a firm and solid anchorage in the person and the work of one person, and that was Jesus Christ, the only legitimate object of faith. The natural tendency for a person in her condition would be to feel, I am too bad to come to someone who was so good the sinless Savior. How can I even think of approaching Him? But this woman had come to this conclusion, if I come to Him, He will welcome me, He will pardon me, He will deliver me. How did she reach that conclusion that if I come, it'll become unwelcome to Jesus? She had heard of Him. She'd seen Him at work. She had felt the grace of God and God's Spirit working in her heart, and she was absolutely right. As we read in Matthew 9 and verse 13, Jesus saying, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And she's saying, I can fit that mold readily. And as a sinner, she came to repentance. In Luke 15 and 2, even the Pharisees and scribes were murmuring, saying, This man receiveth sinners. Thank God he does. 
And then again in Luke 19 and 7, And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And now we have a woman who was a sinner, no one in the locality as being that, known by Christ to be a great sinner, and she comes and she is weeping her way to him. Look at what it says at the end of verse 34. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. And in her hymn we sometimes sing the words, Christ receiveth sinful man, even me. In all my sin, purged from every spot and stain, heaven with him I enter in. How glad we are to read words such as we have in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. What a wonderful word. Robert Hawker from Plymouth. I just couldn't resist going to him today and saying what he said, in part, on 1 Timothy 1 and 15, and he says, worthy indeed. This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, worthy indeed. In every point of view, Worthy as the gift of God, as the price of Christ's blood, as the effectual application of it by the Spirit, and it becomes, he said, the highest testimony of divine faithfulness, because in it God proves himself the faithful God, being faithful to his covenant promises in Christ to a thousand generations. What did the woman do? Well, in verse 37 and 38, I think you can trace with me five things that God's grace prompted her to do. First of all, in verse 37, we find that she knew, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster box of ointment, so she knew, one thing, Jesus is close. He is accessible. He is within reach. He is near. Just as we're told in Acts 17, 27 and 28, He be not far from every one of us. And so when He's in the vicinity, she hears, she knows. It's Him. She brought that alabaster box of ointment, the token of a deep love, and our Lord goes on to accost Simon. There are two debtors. Who was the most grateful? Well, the one that received the larger debt, paid off. And therefore, he will love the most. That's the point that our Lord is making. And look at the expression of this woman's love seen in the alabaster box. Very precious material. She knew. She brought. Already indicated she wept. She wept. Stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears. I must ask myself, 
when did I last have a weeping sight of Calvary? When did the tears last flow out of my eyes and better still my heart as I contemplated who Jesus is and what He has done for me? There's the evidence of sorrow here, contrition, repentance. We find also that she knelt. Well, she had to in order to get down to the level where she could wash His feet and have her hair there down by His feet. And here we have this picture of real genuine humility. Poor, sinful woman acknowledging all of her iniquity, coming in all of her need, and bowing down before the Savior of sinners. Maybe praying in the terms of that great psalm of repentance and penitence in Psalm 51, we find as well she kissed. In verse 38, how wonderful our Lord should allow her to kiss His feet, and how tremendous it is that we can come just as she did. Depth of mercy, the hymn writer asked, can there be mercy still reserved for me? Can my God His wrath forbear, be the chief of sinners spare? Because I have long withstood His grace, long provoked Him to His face, would not hearken to His calls, grieved Him by a thousand falls. But if I rightly read thy heart, if thy all-compassion art, by thine ear, in mercy by, pardon, and accept me now. And we could take those words without any exaggeration or shoehorning and put them into this woman's case. By thine ear, in mercy by, pardon, and accept me now. And the same wonderful Lord who received and pardoned this sinful woman does the same, for He did it for us. When we came in humility and penitence and simple trust and with the desire and with the plea for His acceptance and for His blessing, and so we can testify tonight, He received us just as He did her. The sin that enslaved her, the Savior who encouraged her, and then finally, the serenity that encompassed her, the peace that came. And we're scanning over verse 44 to 50 here, the main part of the commendation. And there are points to note. Notice the Lord's approval in verse 44 through 46. And He turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. And so where Simon is not being commended. She was, and his lack made the contrast all the more stark. All that he had not done, she did. 
and more. Can you imagine being that woman hearing those words in real time? She would have felt overwhelmed by a sense of our Lord's deep understanding. He knew all about her. He knew about her great sin, but He knew about her clear repentance. He could gauge her strong love, abundant trust. And there's that gracious acceptance of her. Not only His approval, but our Lord's absolution, the only one who can give absolution. Verse 47 really catapults us right back into, for example, Isaiah 1 and verse 18, Wherefore, I say unto thee, verse 47 of Luke 7, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And we're told, of course, in Isaiah 1 and 18, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And here are sins, and she's coming that day, and her sins are scarlet, and they are crimson. But as she falls at the feet of the Lord, the great sin bearer, she is transformed, made as white as snow. And the same gracious gift of pardon, Psalm 51 and 7, Acts 13, 38, 39, came our way as well. The Lord's assurance in verse 48, and He said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. When he said that, it didn't matter if Simon should raise an argument or anybody else in the house should raise some dispute. She had it from the Lord's mouth. That's what counted. What assurance she would have gone home with that day. Sure, because she had his word to rest upon. And it's there that we find a foundation for all of our assurance. 1 John 2 and 12. Notice the Lord's assignment. If we can describe it as that in verse 50 of Luke chapter 7, and He said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee, go in peace. You've been like John Bunyan's pilgrim, and you've approached the cross with a bird and heavily weighing down upon your back pressing you down, pushing you into the ground, but rolled away. The burden of her heart has rolled away. And so the Lord tells her, go in peace. Yes, go. Go back to your friends. Go back to your acquaintances. Go back to the place with which you and they are familiar. Go to your home. Go to tell others of the wonderful grace of Jesus. And as she went on that journey to a new life of fellowship and service for Christ, she would experience what Paul later wrote about in Philippians 4 and 7. The peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds through or in Christ Jesus. What's her conclusion? 
looking at the incident, hearing our Lord's commendation, we say, wonderful Savior and a glorious salvation. And we're glad to come shoulder to shoulder with this woman and say, what He has done for others, He has done for me. And we can testify to this glorious Savior together. We'll bow in prayer. As many as possible do take part in prayer. Remember the service coming up on the Lord's Day afternoon in particular. That many will come in that a good meeting will be enjoyed. That the Lord will be magnified as our brother Bill would have wanted. Not unto me, but unto him give glory for his mercy and for his truth's sake. Let the Lord be uplifted, and may He be. May some that have made acquaintance with Him over the years come in. May there be many unsaved that will come in. And may the Word of God convince and convict. Do pray for the… There's a funeral service in our Ballygowan church tomorrow. You possibly have heard that the organist there who had played for 32 years, Robert Catterson, died very suddenly on Monday morning, just 50 years of age. Lovely guy, very unassuming, and an excellent organist, member of committee. I know he will be greatly missed in that congregation, and that's a big understatement, and certainly by his wife Donna and all the friends, and I would commend her to you and them also that you'll pray for them, and others in our own congregation that recently have been bereaved, need the touch of God upon their open wound. May that be granted. We'll ask Tommy if he'll lead us in prayer, please. Thank you.